Hello, listeners. A quick programming note. Last week, we released two episodes of the PebCAC podcast, our 10th episode with our very first podcast guest, and a bonus episode discussing the movie Tenant and the zombie apocalypse. After publishing the two episodes, I noticed my podcast app automatically downloaded only the bonus episode, since I have it set to only download the newest episode. If you miss episode number 10, please go back and manually download it. Now, on to episode 11. Thank you for joining us for the PEPCAC Podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 23 of 2021, and Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference kicks off today, where I hope they announce some new Macs. I'm Chris Louie, and with me I have Brian Deach. What's up everyone? Day three of my fast, so if I seem a little honorary, it's probably because I haven't had any food in a while. And Glenn Medina. Hey everyone, welcome back and thanks for joining us. Happy to be back for podcast number 11. We are at double digits now, so this is exciting times for the for the podcast group here. I'm also super excited that this weekend is going to be my youngest daughter's graduation from high school. So super stoked to, to, uh, to be part of this event and hopefully have an empty house here in the next, uh, next couple months. Uh, congratulations to you and your wife, Glenn. Thanks. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. On to our first topic. I've been following the security firm MCSoft for a while now. They have emerged as one of the premier security vendors in the ransomware recovery space. They perform amazing research into ransomware crews and help organizations recover after they've been attacked. The entire ransomware model operates on some level of trust that if a company pays the ransom, they will get the decryption key and that their data will not be published and leaked online. If too many ransomware crews renege on that promise, no one is going to pay the ransom. There has to exist at least a minimum level of honor among thieves. So quick question, is this like all like post-mortem, like, hey, this is how they came in, or are they doing stuff like they're looking for vulnerabilities in the ransomware itself to circumvent the keys and paying out the, uh, the ransom? Well, once someone pays the ransom and they get the key from the ransomware crew, uh, MCSoft puts that key into their custom decryptor package and it decrypts the data up to two times faster than the native decryption tools that some of the ransomware crews uh, provide. Wow, we get to go faster <laughs> after paying all this money. That's, I don't know. Do you, do you see that as a big deal? I definitely think so because ransomware crews, they're incentivized to encrypt data very quickly because if somebody notices on their machine that files are starting to get encrypted and their extensions are getting changed, they're just going to pull the plug. And that's what we saw with like NotPetya. There are people running up and down the corridors and offices just pulling plugs out of computers. So they have an incentive to encrypt very fast. They have no incentive to decrypt very quickly because once they once they're paid, once they release the tool, the, the decryption tool, they've fulfilled their end of the bargain. They said, well, we'll allow you to decrypt your data, but there's no guarantee on how fast that'll take. Dang, that, that's that's insane. Between uh, Colonial Pipeline and, and JBS, right? Like no target is unsafe at this point in time. You might, who would have thought like a, you know, meat distribution would be the next big victim. 
Yeah, and then just talk about the honor amongst thieves. <laughs> so, what is that about, Chris? There's there's a general perception from the public that you know once a company pays the ransom, these ransomware crews just hand them an easy button where they press the button and all their files magically appear. And this is definitely not the case. There's there is honor among thieves that they will get a valid decryption key and that they will get their data back. And a lot of these ransomware crews, they offer one file decryption for free just to prove that they can do it. Getting the decryption key is just the first step. So as we've seen with Colonial Pipeline and the Irish National Health Service, recovery can take weeks or more just to decrypt all their files and, and all their systems. Uh, in fact, it would have taken so long for Colonial to decrypt all their files that they recovered they ended up recovering from backup, and they only decrypted a select amount of files with the decryption key. So I'm guessing these are files that were changed you know, right before they got uh, in encrypted, and their backups are not new enough. But they, they decided to restore the majority from backup and only selectively uh, recovered files using the, the decryption key. You know, uh, I don't think I would want to be on that side of the whole, like, hey, let's just restore from backup. One time when we were at University of Phoenix, uh, I was on the customer side at that point in time, we had this event called the, the Sampocalypse, where like all of the sand went down to the degree that we, at that point in time, we were a marquee customer. And the, uh, I won't mention the name of the, the, the sand company, they ended up removing the, us from the website. Like we were no longer a marquee customer on, or referenceable, the videos on YouTube, everything came down. And, uh, so the, the obvious thing there was, all right, we're just going to fail over to our, our secondary data center. And like this was going to be, and of course I was on call. I'm always on call for like weird things like this. And just looking at the amount of work that was going to go into failing stuff over, is like, this is going to be like a multi-day project. I'm texting my wife like, hey, don't expect me home tonight, blah, blah, blah. And as we start to go with the failover, like nothing is coming up. Like data replication had been working, but to fail things over just wasn't wasn't working. So we end up getting like boots on the ground to try to figure out like, why are these firewalls and these switches and these routers, like why are all these different things down? And like, let alone the, the whole side of like, not only did we not have accurate monitoring in place, but like what is actually going on here? Uh, they start pulling like the, uh, the, the floor tiles and uh, rats had started chewing through all of the, the network cabling and stuff that we had oh, at this data center. And so, <laughs> yeah, you want to talk like, well, uh, the DR plan didn't go very well because there was, at this point in time, like there's just no way to do it. Like it was, let's just try to rebuild and do data re replication back the other way. And yes, this is going to take a couple of days to get it done. Um, but they call it the Sampocalypse because like it was so bad. We thought we weren't going to exist anymore. Like we're just going to go out of business. It was, it was that bad. Should have called it the rat apocalypse, Right. <laughs> So many bad things happened that day, but thank God uh, I still had a job and they were able, able to get everything back up and running. Sure, there's a joke in here we can insert about Hyde Piper, right? <laughs> the rats. Yeah. Go for yeah, it. Speaking of, speaking of multi-day, multi-week projects, uh, re recovering from a ransomware attack is an entire project in and of itself. Once the systems are recovered, so that's that's one part of it, just getting back up and running into a functional state with business continuity, now you have the eviction problem. 
And this reminds me of a story of a guy I knew. He had an uncle who kept a poisonous snake in his house as a pet. Now, that's not my particular cup of tea, but for some reason his uncle had this poisonous snake. One night he forgot to put the lid on the terrarium where the snake was being stored. But thankfully in the morning the snake was still there. Now, if that was me and I lost a poisonous snake somewhere inside my house, I would either have to, number one, move, or number two, or and or number two, burn the house down. Like, There's just no way I'm living in a house where there's a poisonous snake on the loose. You just can't take that chance. That's very similar to these organizations that, that, that get breached. Like Many ransomware crews will tell organizations how they got in after they pay the ransom. There's, it's actually a pretty comprehensive report of how they got in, you know, post-mortem. This is what you can do better. This is where you can close the, the gaps. And closing those vulnerabilities does not guarantee that the attacker is kicked out of the network. In fact, there are several cases where organizations pay the ransom, they decrypt their files, then they get ransomware again because they did not fully evict the attackers. And the attackers know that they pay. In those cases, Replacing every single piece of IT equipment at the same time is the only way to guarantee that the attackers have been evicted. With persistence these days, root kits, infecting IoT devices, even a network switch. Once the network has been breached, the eviction problem becomes a serious issue. Yeah, so going back to the the, the snake, the poisonous snake, uh, poisonous venomous snake, excuse me, Brian and Chris. Uh, so I, I, I did, so I, I was having some yard work done and I had some trees cut and I left the logs in the front yard because I wanted to, um, um, make furniture out of it. Right. It was some nice, healthy redwood trees and had them cut down. And that whole time after they've been there a while for the pit this past summer, um, some lizards start showing up and the lizards are really small lizards, just, you know, normal li- normal size maybe five to you know six inches in length um they they eat the bugs so it was kind of a harmonious relationship there and then uh, about a month ago one of my neighbors were walking coming back from a walk they had said hey did you guys hear see or hear about the rattlesnakes in the neighborhood and i'm like rattlesnakes what's going on here and uh they're like yeah we saw one right on the edge on you know two houses away from yours on the street and by the time the neighbor came out um it had slithered away and i was like oh that's kind of weird okay so a you know I'm, I'm doing a lot of yard work in preparation for my daughter's graduation um her party and uh she says but don't worry if you know if you've got a lot of lizards there in your your wood pile if they if they disappear then you know you've got a snake well guess what like all of a sudden the lizards that i used to see all the time are gone <laughs> so i'm like uh-oh uh and then about 2 weeks ago we're un, you know I'm, I'm i'm installing fake grass and uh guess what slithers next to me in the early morning um in the er- in the early morning but the rattlesnake and it was like oh my gosh don't move there's a rattlesnake right there on the log so uh we caught it and we took care of the rattlesnake and uh and then uh just recently the uh the lizards have moved back right so they're they're back in the wood pile again so now i know it's the it's 
the wood pile has, is rattlesnake free because I, I see lizards. Now, going back to this, right, and going back to your story, Chris, about, um, you know, this, this, the idea that there's people um, that are coming in and, you know, the ransomware attackers will leave, you know, will tell you how they did it, and, but go back. You kind of look at that from the, from the aspect of, you know, if someone broke into my house and I see the window broken, the door broken, or maybe they broke in and I didn't know what was going on, you would think you would sit there and kind of inspect, you know, what happened, how it happened, and prevent that from happening again. And that would be the same thing that happens to a company that that was attacked or got got you know you know you know happened to have a, a, a ransomware attack. You would think they'd be smart enough to not let that happen a second time and be able to to shore up their security controls around that. So you know, once shame on me, shame on you. Second time, shame on me. I think, as the saying goes. Agreed. I would love to see the uh, the report that the the bad guys hand over. Like, can you imagine you're, you're going through it? You're like, all right, we're going to finally figure out how they got in. And then you look at it. And it's like, oh, the, the CVE that was out in 2016 for Apache Struts was our entry point. You imagine yeah. like this. And they get some AppSec guy in the background. But like, I told you guys so. We should have we patched that. You didn't listen to me. And he's, he, he feels vindicated or she feels vindicated. But at the end of the day, like, they, they got in anyway. So, yeah. Uh, the, the whole eviction thing would be interesting. I think... Uh, Who's, who's kind of the leader in that space to kind of go over there and do the post-mortem? Is it like Mandiant or CrowdStrike? Who, who, who's like the the best at that at this point in time? Yeah, to the best of my knowledge, I think Mandiant is one of the premier incident response uh, organizations, which, funny enough, got spun off from, from FireEye today. So as breaking news today, uh, Mandiant and FireEye are separating. Again. <laughs> so... Well, not again, but yeah, it was a marriage of about what five years for them. So, yeah, and kind of odd, right? I think we just talked about this. Was the fact that it was just the assets? I, I didn't read in further, but it was just assets, not not the whole company that they bought, which seems to be a big wave right now. So they're just gonna sell it off, or what? Like this? They just this they just IP? sold off the FireEye products to okay. Symphony. Yeah. Yeah. Is somebody going to evolve it, do you think? Or they're just going to be like, hey, who wants to buy our IP and then make that a new, you know, some other third party product? It, it probably depends. I mean, I've been through a couple these, you know, public, go private, go private again, you know, you know, through another through another investment company. Um, it, it, I think it all really depends on what Symphony is going to do. Like I said, I, I've been through some with 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 Bluecoat and Symantec. Um, which, by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, but Semantic also does what Mandiant does as far as the, the, the breach incident report, but they're not publicly known to give their information as, as business partners. They kind of keep that on a down low. So. Yeah, it always made sense to me that Mandiant and FireEye would part ways at, at some point. Their, their business models, I think, are different. Their long-term strategies and goals are different and just potential conflict of interest as well. You, you come in and you, you find out what went wrong and you recommend solutions that, that can prevent from happening again. And they have an interest in FireEye, so they, they can't sell them FireEye. Uh, so that they, it, it made sense that this would happen eventually. Does Symphony have like a, like a website that they sell other products on? I've never even heard of them before. Have you guys? No, I, I have not. Um, 
I think there are private equity firms that are going to buy it, invest in it, or they believe that they can break off and spin off the pieces and that'd be worth more than the purchase price. Got it. On to our next topic, Dark Escrow. We've talked about ransomware as a service crews and how they're slowly but surely transforming into bureaucratic corporations. For example, the dark side ransomware crew had an entire page with their code of ethics and eventually they were going to require approval before one of their affiliates could ransomware a victim. They did not want to go through another colonial pipeline situation again. Ransomware as a service also integrates several different and separate entities, such as an initial access broker to get into the network, a software development team to actually build the malware, and then a finance group to collect and launder the cryptocurrency. Well, we can now add dispute resolution to the list of skills ransomware crews require. A service called Dark Escrow is on the rise. Since ransomware crews move to the ransomware as a service model, their affiliates want to ensure they get paid, and ransomware crews want to ensure that their affiliates don't circumvent them and take 100% of the money. When Darkseid announced that they were shutting down their operations due to the spotlight shown on them due to the Colonial Pipeline hack, many people thought it might be an exit scam where they try to take everyone's money and run and never be heard from again. While putting money into a dark escrow, an independent third party who holds onto the money and distributes it according to the prearranged terms, that can ensure the affiliates get paid even if the parent company somehow they get arrested or they attempt an exit scam. The ransomware crews turning into full-on corporations. Who are the winners? Who are the losers? I think the uh, the victim at the, the the very big part of, or the, the very beginning of this is the the victim, right? Or the 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 giant loser in all of this. I feel like it's almost like, you know what? We're gonna get breached, so let's get an insurance policy, rely on backup, and see what happens. And the whole area of like the you know paying the ransomware. Or this dark escrow company, like is this? It's too much. There's not, there's too, not enough certainty in any of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I got one for you. I mean, these crews, right? They're, I mean, like Chris was saying, they've got guys that that do the software development team that builds the malware, and then you've got a finance group to launder the. It's like, hey, does this job have benefits? Can I go down the street and? get an HMO or, you know, and go, Hey, do they uh, cover dental, do they cover leave? dental and sick leave? Cause it, it, it almost sounds like a, it's a company that's, that's starting to build momentum as far as like, Hey, we've got a foundation here of a company, a solid company and a solid track record of being able to, you know, just, you know, do crypto mining and actually do, do theft. Right. But at a larger scale or at, at, at some scale anyways. So I think it provides a competitive differentiator too. They're starting to get into the space that you know, like even, even software vendors or security vendors are in and says, well, what makes you different than your next guy? What makes you different than your competitor? And one of the things they can offer is, hey, we support this dark escrow service, which guarantees that you'll get paid. You know, Even if we go out of business, we'll deposit money in good faith into this escrow account and you'll still get paid if, if something happens to us. And then they can compete on rates. Well, what's your what's your escrow rate? What's your commission rate? And then they can fight over commercial terms and legal terms and contract terms, just like the the rest of us do in in, in the vendor space. Is this relevant anywhere else, with homes buying cars, 
buying ammunition. I have no idea. Buying illegal stuff, maybe on you know, uh, you know, overseas and trying to import it into the U.S. I'm curious. Well, definitely in in real estate, you want to deal with an escrow company because you don't want to wire somebody a bunch of money and then not not get title. And you know, the, you have title companies, you have people that to do the research. Is this a clean title? Are these the legitimate owners? So, so definitely in real estate, absolutely use use an escrow service. Um, I actually used an escrow service. Uh, an all-mine one, and this was a number of years ago, I was dealing with uh, an overseas vendor, and they had a, a product that was uh, competitively priced. And, you know, it was one of the services that they offered that says, you know, if we, we deal with overseas people, you don't trust us, we'll use this third-party escrow service. And the third-party escrow service was was legitimate. I, I researched them. So I went through that. They, they took like a 10% cut. But even after everything was all said and done with all the fees, all the hassle, it, it still ended up being... A lot cheaper than than buying the product, uh, I guess stateside, um, and it ended up working out. I think it, it covers both parties. It, it provides some level of insurance, and you just pay a, a small fee for that that peace of mind. Was that when you were trying to save money on your Roomba, your uh, Roomba purchase? <laughs> yeah, the the Roomba that's sending my house blueprint back to uh, back to an overseas server. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome, Chris. I'm surprised that 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 escrow was, would you say like ten percent? That's pretty high. It is. It is. They they are business. They are acting as a trans transactor or an intermediary, so they are getting getting paid for their service. But yeah, the, the fee was a little bit high. But even when you in- include that fee, it it still it could still be price competitive than um, than acquiring it elsewhere. So what did you buy? Something. <laughs> look at that look at that smile chris <laughs> he's like you guys remember those uh those horse mask uh disguises bunch of those <laughs> all right on to our next topic how to spot a fake job scam last month the u.s fbi issued a warning about possible fake job scams and this is nothing new. This is a tale as old as time, a scam as old as as the far back as you can remember. But with the global pandemic and COVID work from home, and now that interviewing in person is no longer a thing, scams are on the rise. A typical scam impersonates a legitimate job recruiter, and then people reach out on LinkedIn or through email, and they... They ask you to contact them, but use a different email address, like a non-corporate email address, or they ask them to text them at uh, a particular phone number. And some of the the telltale signs are things like offers are are too good to be be true. And this is particularly a problem because these these innocent victims that are getting contacted, like they're they're desperate for for a job. Unemployment is high. They want to get back out there into the workforce. They really want to to get that job and these these attackers are preying on on these people either through linkedin fake job ads or just finding the resume and telling them that yeah this company would be great and we'd like to hire you and here's a an amazing salary when when can you start and these these victims they tend to become unwitting accomplices in things like money meal scams that they 
give you some money and, and they deposit some money in your account that says, okay, here's your, your salary, take some of the money, spend it, but then take the rest of the money and then send it to this, this account overseas. And they, they become money mules that way. That's, that's a way to launder stolen money. Or more recently, we've seen uh, sophisticated hacking groups out of North Korea that contact, they actually target security researchers and they, make, they create fake profiles and they say, do you want to collaborate on some malware analysis? And if somebody says yes, then the North Koreans send over a Visio file that's infected with some type of backdoor or malware. And then that security research then becomes uh, compromised and then North Korea can then see what kind of security research they're working on or also uh, potentially infiltrate the supply chain. If this is a someone that works for a security vendor, they could potentially infiltrate the supply chain that way. That way. So fake job scams on the rise, and there are a couple ways to ensure that you don't become a victim of one. Yeah, so wait a minute, Chris. Money mule. So I'm applying for the job. I'm going to send you money ahead of time go ahead and spend some of it but forward the money you know i've been looking for jobs for the last you know i've been gainfully employed for the last 30 plus years i've never had that happen to me so it's like like i don't know anyone that's ever looked for a job and say hey let me deposit money in your account real quick if you don't mind cash some of it and then take the rest and you know send it off and forward it to the next person that's a little nuts so too good to be true right i, th- I think is the word if it's too good to be true it's probably not true sounds like a great way to get someone to write a resume for me so if i ever start looking for a job again i'll just start advertising the position i want and get resumes coming in and then just do a find and replace on the oh yeah there you right. go. now yeah. you're thinking I yeah think- either that or start collecting some of their data right it's like hey uh we want to offer you a job can you uh fill out this fake job application on eventbrite <laughs> so, and let me start collecting your social security number birth date credit card information whatever so do you, do you guys recall like this is again we're going down a rabbit hole that has nothing to do with the topic but it happened shoot maybe like in 07 uh an attacker like pretended to be like someone that he wasn't online. I think the guys, the, the lady, the lady's name that he tried to pretend to be was like Lisa something. So he created a, a LinkedIn account and then just started befriending a bunch of people at a bank, right? Like, hey, boom, boom, boom. I'm now part of your team, blah, blah, blah. And then as LinkedIn invites were coming in, she's like, oh, I, you know, haven't gotten a laptop yet. Can you help me? And so then through, you know, a series of unfortunate events, laptop ends up getting shipped to her. And then when she has a laptop and she starts complaining that she doesn't have Active Directory account to log in, and eventually she compromises and has infiltrated the bank all based off of it as being, you know, like a you know a friendly person on LinkedIn. Do you guys recall that story? I'm about to dig it up if you haven't. Yeah, I do. And and that's just the power of, of social engineering. And this is pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, where you know, work from home wasn't quite as, as common as it is nowadays. But it, it just goes to show you that if, if somebody was determined to do that i think you said like 10 or over 10 years ago just think of what you can do now one of the ways that that some of these victims are getting scammed as well like like you said glenn they make you fill out an application and said okay we're we're good you're hired here's your offer uh if you accept the offer then you have to fill out this background check form and we've all gone through background checks before and it asks for a good deal of personal information and once the attacker has that that personal information, 
what they can do with it. They they can even make you fill out forms for like direct deposit. Now they have your bank account number. So it's really important that people verify that who they're talking to is actually the person that they're talking to by, you know, just call the corporate number and, and find out. Or if there's a red flag, like if they ask you to contact them at a Gmail address, well, that, that seems suspicious and that, that could potentially be a scam. Or even if you have to pay up front for something like a background check, like I've never been charged for a background check before and I've worked for several companies that have uh, required it. So they're just some red flags to to watch out for. Um, also check the the actual company's career site. Is there an actual job opening for this on the official career site? Just look for potential red flags there. I just you know refer people in. Like I'm like, hey, I think Chris Louie's looking, and then can I get a finder's <laughs> fee? Here's my uh, here's my account yeah. number, so you can just do an ACH credit. Yeah, and, and think about this. Remember the infomercials were like, hey, want to make millions? Want to live a big, you know, want to buy these nice cars? Send us $400 and then we'll show you how to do that. It's like, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to our last topic. And our last topic is going to be a rotating topic every week. And this week, the topic is who is the most famous person you've spoken with? For me, it would be the Mythbusters, so Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman. I actually got to meet them in person once. I had a, a family friend that worked at a publication, and as one of the benefits of his job was he got some uh, tickets that for uh, local events, and one of the, the local events was the Mythbusters were speaking at a university nearby, and he got backstage passes, so I got to do a meet and greet with them, and they were they were really cool. They are Pretty much exactly what you see on TV. Adam was this boisterous, kind of crazy guy, and Jamie was a little bit more reserved and very direct with with what he said. But it, you know, we got to talk to them about things like how'd you get into special effects, and you know, how has your life changed now that you're really famous uh, from the show? And yeah, they were just two really cool guys to to meet and talk to. Who was your favorite out of the two? I don't know. I think I have to say Jamie, and he he has. He's he's very direct, and he has a little bit of mystery to him as, as well. Because there was there've been all these jokes online about him that he was like a former Navy SEAL, or he did this, or he did that, and uh, he he kind of goes along with it too. Like if when people ask him that, he doesn't confirm it, he doesn't <laughs> deny it, and I think just having a little bit of of mystery about him, I, th- I think makes makes him pretty cool. Mystery, sexy. I get it. I get it. <laughs> All right, so I guess I go second, unless you have anything to add there, uh, Glenn. Yeah, no, go, please. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the probably the most famous person I met was, out of, outside of Tom Arnold, uh, was probably number one. I was, I was a little kid, but the, the other one would be Joe Rogan. So we went to go uh, see him do perform stand-up. And I think at that point in time, he may have opened for Chappelle. I can't remember the exact one, or it could have been the one where he was at Dane Cook as well. Yeah, regardless, uh, after the event, and it wasn't a very big venue. I think it was like maybe a hundred people. And he's like, Hey, we'll be outside. If you you know want to come say hi. And like all the comedians that that were there that night, all three of them were all kind of lined up. And my wife's like, let's go over there and say hi. I'm like, no, I don't want to bother him. She's like, he said, come over here and say hi. Like, like totally cool. So we walked over, uh, shook his hand, uh, this is back when he still had hair. Super cool, down to earth. This is like like really friendly. Asked you know inquisitive questions. Wasn't like a you know a scumbag at all. 
and then was like gracious enough to be like, Hey, you guys want to take a picture? We're like, sure. And took a picture and kind of went on her way. But yeah, Joe was, uh, to this day, one of my favorite comedians for sure. Nice. So is he, is, is he intense? Is he like, Hey, cause I, I, I hear he's a comedian, right? But like he backs up his stuff. Like if he tells you he wants to fight, he's going to throw down, he's going to throw down. Or is he just really cool, calm, casual type of guy? Just like, down to earth like he's like hey yeah. guys thank you so much for coming to watch me out i'm like you know i paid for this right like i wanted to see you <laughs> uh number one like you're famous to me uh and he was just like, yeah just super down to earth and just humble i guess humble was the, the biggest thing like I, I thought for sure he's like oh you know look at this bald idiot with his hot wife like she's obviously in it for the money no wasn't like that at all just like just yeah. a genuine dude i really appreciated that yeah love his podcast definitely that's why that's why i'm doing this is you look at the format on his podcast and the guy can go anywhere on any topic and talk very clear on the topic right i don't know if it's the shrooms or anything else i don't like i said i'm not i'm advocating shrooms or anything but he does (laughs) so and some of the things that i mean like i said some of the super you know is it the superfoods that he recommends like the coconut turmeric creamer i actually started using that because of him so pretty cool stuff and he sounds like a really cool guy yeah, I've been doing the, the, the sauna as a post-workout thing because I always thought like so my lower back is like blown out and usually inflammation like kills it, right? So going in somewhere hot, like you would think be counterintuitive, mm-hmm. like the back doctor is always like ice it, ice it, ice it. So I started doing the whole like, all right, we're going to turn this thing up to like 200 degrees and try to make it in there uh, for as long as I can. When I first started, it was like six or seven minutes and I'm like, gosh, I'm seeing Jesus' eyes. I got to get the heck out of here. And now... <laughs> Uh, the longest have gone up to 17 minutes. I think he does over 20 minutes at this point in time. But it's actually helped out. Wow. Like he's, I'm doing better. Well, that's you know, awesome. Kudos to him. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good. Yeah, so I, I, I've met a couple people in my life. I've, I don't know if anyone remembers Bob Hope, right? And I've shook his hand. Uh, he came and visited one of the bases when I was in the military in, in San Antonio. And then... Um, Governor Rick Perry, when he before he became a presidential candidate, um, he was doing something for the veterans, uh, for uh, for the veterans party, and was fundraising there, and that was great. Got to shake his hand and gave me a hug. I don't know why, but really cool guy. Um, and then uh, probably one of the most ones that I'll talk about a lot and that I tell all my friends and it's kind of my my thing that I like talking about but he probably has no idea who the heck I am right is uh I got to meet and play basketball with Shaquille O'Neal so nice. early 90s does not remember you Glenn yeah probably <laughs> not probably very clear about that right it has no clue but uh, if anyone's listening that were was part of the basketball uh, the, the group of guys that I played basketball with when I was back in the army I was in San Antonio. I was on temporary duty because I was going back to training, um, uh, dental training, and uh, there was a gr- there was always a pickup game at the local gym on base. And lo and behold, one day um, there was this tall guy standing in the middle playing pickup ball, and we ended up playing pickup with him. And everyone was like, "Hey, do you know who that is?" And I'm like, "I have no idea who that is." And they're like, "It's Shaquille O'Neal." I'm like, "Great, who's Shaquille O'Neal?" Right. And it's like, it turns out, like years later, like, oh my gosh, that was Shaquille O'Neal. He was a dominant player, right? <laughs> so 7-2, huge guy. And he wasn't huge back then. He was he was pretty thin. Um, 
but yeah, he played played we played basketball with him and the guy was just a mass in the center of the key, right? So just think of a guy seven foot tall. Here I am. I'm, I'm barely budding five, 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 six, and blocked everything and er- anything and everything that came in, and rebounded anything and everything that that came off the rim, which was a lot. Um, really nice guy, uh, down to earth, very humble. Um, his dad was a command sergeant major um, there, so that's why he was on base with us. But uh, really cool guy. Like I said, I'll, I'll say it today. It, it's uh, it's kind of odd because if you've ever seen him play professionally, he really wasn't that great at free throws. And like, yeah, he wasn't that great at anything past three feet from the rim either. So sorry, Shaquille. <laughs> it's the truth, right? So, but yeah, yeah, I love, I love, I love that. And it was a fun time with him. So you, you got to play basketball with Skinny Shack and give you Skinny some Shack. perspective. Skinny Shack, like I, on the internet, according to that, like he was probably only 230 pounds as a rookie. I'm 240 right now. I'm I'm six foot two, like an entire foot difference. But at his heaviest, he was like 370. Can you imagine like what that looked like? Wow. Yeah. Beginning to end, like this massive, already massive. Yeah. Yeah. And then you put in Shaq with muscle. That's terrifying. Yeah. And then, like I said, I didn't want to stand next to the guy because he could literally just put his elbow on me and just lean on me as a goalpost, right? So, yeah. I, See, it was, you uh, farted, it would have blown you over. Been probably, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, but like I said, really, I mean, that's, and like I said, he means well and does well. Um, didn't have ego at all back then, right? Just really cool, easygoing guy. So That's awesome. What a nice guy. Okay. We continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, Brian's up. All right. All right, family, you guys ready for this? As I scroll. Dad joke. Dad joke. Dad joke. Dad joke. <laughs> I saw an ad on Craigslist for a 70-inch television for a dollar. But the volume was stuck on Max. I thought to myself, I can't turn that down. All right, to wrap things up, MCSoft is filling a gap in the ransomware recovery space. Dark Escrow is a service on the rise, turning ransomware groups into corporations. Job scams are on the rise, and we show you how to spot a bad one. The hosts have met fairly famous people. That's all we have for this week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. And just so you know, by listening to this podcast, you are 20% less likely to get sunburned on your summer vacation this year. If you know anyone else who would like 20% less chance of getting sunburned, please share this podcast with them. Hey, Chris, want to do a quick shout out real quick. Thanks to you and Brian, but especially to you because you got us these cool hoodies that say pipe, the Pebcat podcast on them on the shoulder, on the front left and on the rear. So uh, like I said, this is a good time. Thanks. And I appreciate you getting this for us when you're sporting this. So guys and gals out there, I am sporting one of only three made so far. So happy to be part of this. Elite group. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for being excellent co-hosts. The best way to find us is to search for the Pebcac Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher. We'll see you all next week, and as always, have a nice day.
Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. Later, boys.